Hi everybody, this is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world, and it's taking place in your neighborhood. As over 100,000 minors are trafficked each year in the U.S., in this episode, I'm joined by Jeremy Valoran, CEO and president of Atlas Free, a global nonprofit organization working in over 25 countries to prevent, combat, and end sex trafficking. We discuss the drivers for human trafficking and the surprising facts about who is involved in this criminal enterprise and then what you can do about it. January is National Slavery and Human Trafficking Prevention Month. This is a subject that is close to my heart and it blows my mind that it continues to happen in our modern society. As a parent, it's on the top of my mind every time my kids leave the house to go to the park or we head into a crowded airport, and I know many of you feel the same way. So I want to provide you with the information and resources you need to get in the fight. I highly recommend you check out the Atlas Free website, and please consider supporting their important work. So lock in, clear the clutter, and let's lean in and learn from the best. Jeremy, thank you for joining me today to discuss a very important issue that's going on, not just in the U.S., but in our world today. How big of a problem is sex trafficking? Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Excited that you're passionate about impacting the world and engaging this topic. So human trafficking and and specifically sex trafficking is unfortunately a rapidly growing, it's the fastest growing criminal enterprise on the planet and the second largest after the global drug trade. So this is a booming industry. Unfortunately, it's still growing. In fact, in the last five years, the the UN has estimated that it increased about 25% growth in overall human trafficking and sex trafficking in the last five years. Wow. That's enormous. So what are the drivers for this? Like what what is propelling this forward? Considering that so many people know what an issue with this is, how is it continuing to grow? Yeah, at, at its root, if you ever took a business class or an economics class, this is, again, I mentioned it's the fast growing criminal enterprise. So this is driven by criminals who approach mm-hmm. it through an economic lens. So in a sense, it's a supply and demand. It's There's a huge demand pool of people, largely men, who want to purchase exploitation. And then on the supply side is vulnerable individuals who traffickers are targeting. And so it makes sense. We weren't surprised to see the trafficking went up in the last five years. Because if you think about some of the things that have happened in the last five years, you had a massive global pandemic that increased vulnerability of people who lost their livelihoods, people who had no way to earn income. And so they became incredibly vulnerable to desperation in search of income. And so people often think that all trafficking is somebody just kidnapped and forced, when a lot of times it's a a much more subversive and coercive process of people who are desperate and vulnerable, people that have no way to provide for their kids, and they're duped or they're tricked or they're manipulated into it. And so whenever you see vulnerability skyrocket, that was also true of the war in Ukraine, which displaced mostly women and children, because men between 18 and 65 had to stay. And so you had millions of women fleeing with their children in desperate vulnerability and people meeting them at the border, both legitimate people and traffickers saying, oh, we've got options and resources for you. So the supply is that vulnerability. Where there's vulnerability, there's always traffickers that will target vulnerable in order to meet the demand of men who want to pay for exploitation. It's pretty sick. I mean, I'm sorry, but like that you would meet somebody at the border that's fleeing from a war zone 
and that you're going to try to manipulate them into sex, you know, the sex trade. It's, it's, it's pretty awful. You know, here in the U.S., how bad of an issue is this? How many people are involved? I mean, can you give me any kind of numbers here? Again, it's it's illicit. It's in the shadow. So it's, it's mm-hmm. hard to get numbers. But, you know, one of the things that I think is important to understand is a lot of people that, that think like, well, how could that possibly happen? Like, who are these people buying slaves? Well, the reality of how it plays out, we just finished a study that we collaborated with in Europe studying who are the men that are purchasing exploitation. And this is true of my experience interacting with men who purchase and with survivors who have come out. As a lot of the survivors I'll even talk about say, you know, we have a survivor we've worked with that was trafficked mostly in Vegas. And she said, you know, honestly, most of the guys who were purchasing me, they didn't know I was being trafficked and exploited. They just bought the lie that like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And they Mm -hmm. thought I was probably like empowered and paying my way through law school. And the reality is, is that the reason the issue is so large is it's not that there's this huge demand of super shady people in trench coats that are lurking in the shadows and these people that are criminals. A lot of it, those certainly are out there, but a lot of it is mainstream people who have bought the lie that boys will be boys, that, oh, no, this is just part of life. You can, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, or when I'm in Thailand. And there is that thread in every culture of the world that sort of presents masculinity in that way. And that's alive and well in in the United States. Every time I speak in the United States, men come up afterwards, if I'm speaking to a new audience, men will come up to me and be like, whoa, I had no idea. Like, I just went on this bachelor party and like, I think we were part of the problem. And so that's part of why it's this larger issue. People imagine that it's just this really dark, sinister underbelly of slavery, when in fact, some of how trafficking presents is the very glossy, glamorized, cultural boys will be doys version that enables the average Joe to participate. Are men being trafficked too? Unfortunately, at a growing rate, more boys. Um, So it's overwhelmingly women and then boys and girls. Um, So the demand for boys is skyrocketing around the world as well. But by and large, that's to serve a male audience, right? So we don't see a lot of demand from women Um, around the world. Women are not primary purchasers of sexual exploitation. So it's overwhelmingly men, whether they're buying boys, girls, or adult women. So what can we do to help prevent this? Like if I'm an average person, you know, I've got a family, like what are things that we should be doing? We should be looking out for. You know, one of the things we we talk about in, in kind of building the story and, and educating people is one, we want to really help people understand how this happens. Because mm-hmm. people have often this view of like, oh, well, the traffic people are just kidnapped. And so we got to just watch out for kidnappings. And then the buyers are just sinister people in trench coats. So we got to watch out to see if we know anybody that drives a windowless van and wears <laughs> trench coats all the time. Right. Then we if that's all we're looking for, then we misdiagnose the problem. Right. But when we understand that traffickers are targeting the vulnerable our communities. They're targeting kids that are looking for love in all the wrong places. They're targeting foster kids that are growing up and aging out of the foster system or running away from foster homes at 15 because they've never had anywhere where they belong. Or they're, they're targeting kids that are really struggling and maybe their families gone through a really traumatic split or there's addiction in their family and they're they don't feel safe at home and so when we understand who the traffickers are targeting the vulnerable one we can look out in our own communities and even with our children's friends we can look out for like man who's that kid that really is lost and they need a safe place that if somebody's targeting them and starts grooming them saying hey i'll watch out for you i'll take care of you that if there's no adults that they can turn to that they trust they'll find it somewhere else and a lot of times they'll find it in a traffic. Mm. So part of it is we got to learn about the issue, understand the nuance of the issue so that we can be people who protect the vulnerable in our sphere. And then the other side of it, particularly for us as men, 
to challenge those narratives, to challenge the guys that say like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to Vegas for this bachelor party and we're going to do X, Y, Z to be like, Hey, did you know that that's connected to trafficking? Or even there's growing research about the connection between human trafficking and pornography. How many victims of human trafficking are in pornography? So when, when somebody's consuming pornography, you know, there's no websites. I once had somebody ask me if there was a website for like fair trade porn where they could like get certified. You got to be kidding pornography, me. Pornography uh, because they wanted to make sure like, how do I know if if I'm consuming victims of exploitation. And the reality is you don't. That there have been stories of mainstream porn magazines, some of the most high profile magazines that were shot in a studio and they found out after, after the woman was hospitalized and tortured, that she was actually forced by her traffickers to go into a legit studio to shoot a mainstream porn. So there is no way to know. And so again, that's part of how this, most, most guys that are looking at porn are not thinking I'm participating in trafficking, but the traffickers don't care why you're doing it. They get to monetize it either way. And so really understanding the issue so that we know we're not participating in it. I think, was it Instagram or something that took Pornhub off of there, even yep. off Instagram? I mean, you have to really do something heinous for Instagram to pull you off unless you speak about politics, but that's another story. But yeah, I mean, like they, they started realizing like there's kids and adults. I mean, they have no control over it. So Instagram's like, no, you know what I'm saying? We've talked about pornography before on this show. The average child's getting exposed to it at such a young age, and it's really rotting our brains out. I mean, this stuff is one of the worst things you can do is consume pornography. It totally jacks up your dopamine system your reward system is or your your level of motivation gets totally drained out. And uh, the level of stimulation that's required for sexual arousal just goes through the roof. And so people start consuming more aggressive types of pornography, and it just kind of spirals out. And is it does it kind of start with pornography, and then people maybe want to start acting these things out. And so they then look for opportunities to engage in sexual exploitation? Yeah, absolutely. And there's more and more data that illustrates that connection. And what happens is, you know, a growing percentage of pornography, and I think part of the reason why society hasn't addressed that issue is because a lot of the people in the halls of power are are the older generation that when they hear porn, they think of like their grandpa's playboy that they found under the, you know, under the mattress. They don't realize that right now, the last study I saw was that over 85% of online porn depicts acts of violence against women. So this is intense video based acts of violence, just unspeakable, like unimaginable stuff that to the previous generation, they're like, what? I just thought this was like a pinup girl. It's like, no, no, kids are kids are watching acts of violence. And as they get desensitized, part of what drives people into trafficking and why there's such an illicit market is because what they're trying to recreate is what they've seen. And there's no mm -hmm. human being in an empowered relationship that's going to want to be tortured and abused or gang raped in real life. And so you can't, and, and some people will use that to even advocate for, and this is a whole wormhole of like, oh, well, then we should just legalize prostitution and bring it into the light. It's like, well, what buyers are looking for is not something that anyone would want to be, would want legalized in like a, a legal sex workers union. What they want is what they've seen, which is violence and control. And the study that we just finished looking at buyers, that was a consistent theme is like, I want to pay for somebody that I own and they are my piece of flesh. For one hour, I can do whatever I want to them. They are no longer a human. They are they are a body to be treated however I want because I own them. It's not it's not like this is some empowered woman that's choosing this viable career path. Um, mm. That as a general rule around the world, this is a dehumanizing act of power and control and abuse because in some ways that's that's what they've been conditioned to and what they've been watching. Wow. So something I know that we had kind of discussed 
beforehand is, are there things from a historical perspective, principles that maybe we can apply from the abolition of slavery that we could probably apply to the abolition of the sex trade? Because I mean, at one point in time, humans were being bought and sold legally. Now this is illegal, it's underground, but are there things that we can learn from that that we could apply to this situation? Absolutely. That's one of the things that gets me really excited. We have the statement on the wall of our office that says, it's not the injustice that drives us, it's the magnitude of hope. You know, people mm. like, man, this is a heavy issue. But for us, it's like, no, 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 look, we have human trafficking sort of just entered the lexicon in the last 20 years. And the amazing thing is like when William Wilberforce, the British, aboli- the British parliamentarian abolitionist and his community of friends... 200 years ago, decided they were going to tackle slavery. Slavery was legal all over the world, and it had been for all of documented human history. Every civilization with any manuscript throughout all of time had institutional slavery. And yet this group of friends came together and said, yeah, we're not okay with that. We're going to change that. We're not only going to change the the laws and the hearts and minds of people, but this was the backbone of economics, right? Like this was mm. legal. And so they didn't just have to crush a, a an institution. They had to cr- crush an economic backbone of the largest empire. And it took them about 35 years to do it, but they systematically did it. And it's unbelievable. And so we've looked at that and studied, like, how did they go about it from a policy standpoint, from an economic standpoint, from a culture standpoint? And we look at it and say, man, yes, human trafficking is the fastest growing criminal enterprise on the planet. And unfortunately, there are more slaves in the world today right now than any other time in history, even in the peak of the legal transatlantic slave trade. So people are like, well, isn't that depressing? It's like, well, on one hand, it's that's true. But every country in the world has now said, Slavery is illegal. We don't want slavery. Now, they haven't acted those policies out, but the will is there. We don't have to change hearts and minds of whether this should be allowed or not. We just have to actually implement the tools and the strategies. So we look at it and say, well, if they could do it in their lifetime, absolutely, we can do it in ours. But it's mm-hmm. going to take all of us at every sector of society from you know policies and podcasts to prevention programs and safe houses. It's going to take society banding together to say, we're not okay commodifying the human body, turning people into products to be exploited by other human beings. And we're going to rise up and do something, but it's happening all around the world. Wow. So how do we get in the fight? If you're listening to this and you're like, man, like you're starting to feel that pit of your stomach feeling like you need to do something like what can we do? Yeah. So that the first thing I, that I mentioned was you got to learn about it. You got to understand mm-hmm. how it's happening. So we want to invite people to follow us online on social media at Atlas Free, uh, run an organization called called Atlas Free. We work around yeah, tell the world us about right Atlas now, Free. Yeah. So uh, we launched about 11 years ago. And part of the heart for what we do is we just saw that there were all these micro initiatives around the world of amazing people giving their lives in their community to, to fight human trafficking. And so we wanted to create kind of this umbrella organization that could find and scour the globe to find the best, most promising initiatives all around the world and integrate that into one unified global strategy. And so right now we're working in over 20 countries with over 40 organizations running over 300 different programs, around 300 different programs from the prevention side to the policy side, to the safe houses, to the demand reduction, to the prosecution side, um, integrating that into a global strategy. Now, what that enables us to do is when we invite people into that, they can come and buy partnering with us, not only they get to support those initiatives around the world, but they also get to learn holistically about the fight because we're, mm-hmm. we're sending out resources on what's happening on the policy front, what's happening on the research front, what are we finding out about buyers, what are we finding out about who's vulnerable and why they're vulnerable, and how do we help support a girl that's coming out of, of exploitation and wants to go to college. And so it's everything from let's help send these kids to school, let's provide a safe house, let's provide the trauma training to let's fund a study so we can understand what's happening in this context and why it's happening. So that's 
one big thing is follow us online, learn about the issue, tune in. If you have the means or capacity, we'd love to invite you to donate. As you heard, you know, this this issue has skyrocketed in the last five years. And it's been a really hard time for a lot of organizations because as 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 most people may know, there's a there's a bit of a recession going on and inflation and a lot of nonprofits. Are, are feeling pressure to scale back at a time when the need is highest. So find an organization you believe in and lean in. Dive in with them, learn about what they do, learn about what makes them unique, and, and dive in. So speaking about donating, why, why do you climb mountains to raise awareness for this? You want to talk yeah, about that know, for a second? Uh, sure. Yeah. So actually, my whole journey started with climbing mountains. I actually first learned about this cause. I met this amazing, like I visited this amazing program in India, and I just wanted to help. And I was leading a climb uh, up Mount Rainier, which is the most glaciated peak in the lower 48. And me and the friends that were climbing, we kind of had this last minute idea to like, let's, well, let's turn this into a fundraiser. Let's see if we can get people to sponsor us to go up this mountain, and then we'll donate to the cause. And it sort of snowballed. And, and more people wanted to climb. And, and what we saw, and I've since started to understand the research that I think would really resonate with your community, is what's amazing is there's unbelievable research now on the power of generosity. Like if I were to tell people, hey, what's something that you think would make you live a happier, healthier, lower stress life that actually helps you live longer and improves your relationship? People would be like, I don't know, like testosterone supplements or like, oh, what is this? <laughs> and the reality is, is generosity is scientifically proven to do all those things. And and so what we've seen is like when we invite people to participate, and, and so that's climbing mountains. Now we have a whole, I mean, last this last summer, we had hundreds of campaigns around the country, people running marathons, hosting garage sales in their community, doing bike rides, doing mountain climbs. And what happens is people learn about this issue that they care about and that their neighbors care about. But then this act of generosity actually like makes people live happier, healthier lives. And they start getting excited about like, holy smokes, this is amazing. And then their community is like, wow, I really found this like-minded group of people. And we do this hike together every year. And this is, these are my best friends now. And we train and I just lost 50 pounds and I've never been healthier. And I feel better and my life's better. And I'm fighting human trafficking. That there's this virtuous cycle of when you find a cause you care about. And maybe for you, it's not, you know, if somebody's like, oh, I'm more passionate about clean water. Great. Find the cause you care about, but give and and act generously because it will change your life. And on the other side of that, there's another thing that's same thing. There's over seven different scientific proven elements of gratitude. So when you're generous and then you invite people to engage and they give and you express gratitude, gratitude is shown to help you have better physical health, psychological health, more empathy, less regret, aggression, better sleep, better self-esteem and higher mental strength. So it's it's like really this magic cocktail of like, The more that I've looked at it, the more I'm like, man, I want to raise my kids to be people of generosity and people of Mm. gratitude to invest in the cause they care about. For our for our family, it's seeing people live in freedom and not oppression. But I just think, man, the more that people can live that way and find that, you will be a happier, healthier, lower stress, more empathetic, better sleep, live a longer life. I mean, it almost sounds too good to be true, but the power of generosity and gratitude are unbelievable. Yeah, the, regarding the gratitude piece, it's not also giving gratitude, it's receiving gratitude. That's the interesting part about it. There's there's benefits for, for both giving it and receiving it. There's nothing like somebody doing something like that's unexpected for you. And I'm sure being on your side of the equation, the people that you're serving and rescuing, it's more than gratitude. I mean, it's like it's giving of life, essentially. There's actually a really powerful video on your website that I watched about a girl that was trafficked and kind of hearken to her dreams and goals. And then I don't want to spoil it for people. I'm going to put a link in the show notes that should watch this. But these are real people with real hopes, real dreams that get robbed. And there's an opportunity to restore that. 
And that's why I'm so passionate about this and passionate about what you're doing. We'll put links in the show notes. We'll put some stuff in the, in the newsletter, but if somebody wants to give, they can give directly on Atlas Free's website. Yep. Atlasfree.org. Okay. And uh, hopefully there's something we can talk about in the future about maybe me getting in the fight too with you guys on, on one of these climbs. It's something that I'm very passionate about. And Jeremy, I really appreciate you coming on to talk about this very important subject. Hey, thanks for having me. Love what you're building with your community and, and so appreciate your voice and your passion and the way you're working to, to live a generous and, and grateful life and impacting the world around you. Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And would you please consider supporting Atlas Free and their fight against human trafficking? And please share this podcast with a friend you think would like to get in the fight. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.